Are you looking for online courses with a Christian classical approach? Would your student benefit from small, intimate classes with personal, private feedback on their work? Circe Online Courses offer classes in classical composition and literature, logic, Latin, and loving the lovely. All classes are taught by Circe Apprenticeship trained, experienced, and dedicated classical educators. Teachers use a classical approach to instruction and weekly assessment that focuses on mastery. We never grade with machines. Instead, we focus on each child as a unique person. Above all, with a focus on cultivating the soul of the student, we are dedicated to helping you cultivate wisdom and virtue in your children. A complete list of classes can be found at Courses for Students under training at searcyinstitute.org. Sign up today for the 2023-2024 school year. And now on to this week's episode. Welcome to Overdue Classics, the podcast for all the books you've been meaning to read. I'm Brandon LeBlanc. I'm joined again by Andrew Lipinski and Matt Bianco. This is our second session on the Epic of Gilgamesh. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing better than Matt is. Splendid. Fair enough. <laughs> well, that means Andrew we... is super splendid. Super. <laughs> super duper. Splendider. I am I'm about 45 minutes from just tapping an IV of caffeine. So we're gonna do this session and and you, you guys are going to get the last best part of me for the day. All right. Um, we are on books three and four of the Epic of Gilgamesh. And Matt, why don't you give us a little summary before we jump in? Hi, my name is Matt and I'm being forced against my will to do the narration for this week. I mean, I was gently invited kindly requested to do the narration for this week. Why are you blink, blinking so much and erratically, Matt? It's a weird <laughs> blinking pattern you're doing. You have a little fear here, Matt? What? Is there any fear here? Narration is scary. Mm-hmm. And then you're putting it on a recording that four or five people are going to listen to. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> That's terrifying. And it will last for all time. <laughs> Okay, so book three and book four in the Stephen Mitchell edition, all of which is in book two Mm. of the Herbert Mason edition. And actually, there's even book two of the Herbert Mason edition goes farther than books three and four do here. But nonetheless, here we are. Okay, so they're best friends. They are true friends. They're bosom buddies. What is what does Anne of Green Gables call it? But my soul soul friend. Bosom. Yeah, I don't know Anne that well. Yeah, it's something like that. Bosom soul. Anyways, spirit. I don't know. Anyways, kindred, true kindred, kindred spirit. Like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Um, I've never read the book. I've only seen various versions of the movie. But it's not a classic, so it can't be overdue. It's. Well, I haven't even seen the movie version, so you're, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, before I get myself any tr- further trouble with the Anne of Green Gables lovers, mm-hmm. I'm going to move on to my narration, book three of Gilgamesh. So they're best friends, and Gilgamesh decides, I have a calling. I have a, a task I have to fulfill. I'm going to go to the cedar forest, which is the cedar forest of Lebanon, it, it says later. And this is the same cedar forest of Lebanon that are in the Bible, coincidentally. And it does, I'm not, that, that wasn't a narration. It never says it's the same cedar forest of Lebanon from the Bible. Sorry. I'm, I'm 
editorializing as I narrate, and I'm not supposed to do that, am I? Just tell no, the story. No, you're fine. Okay. Keep going. So in the cedar forest of Lebanon, there's a fierce monster named Humbaba that I wanted to talk about last week, but you guys last yeah last week you guys won't let me. Nope. And Humbaba Gilgamesh decides must be killed and driven out from this world because he is the embodiment of evil. Um, Enkidu Enkidu does not want to go. Enkidu is scared. Enkidu knows this forest. And knows this Humbaba from his animal-like days when he was, you know, running with the animals and going through all the animal life activities. He um, he encountered and he heard stories and he knew how wicked and evil this Humbaba was. In fact, um, he says – it's kind of interesting because poetically there's a there's a movement here, right, uh, Homer-like, where he describes Humbaba and how dangerous Humbaba is. And then the elders of the city describe Humbaba and how evil and dangerous he is in the exact same words. Um, but when he says that he doesn't want to go and he explains why he's scared, Gilgamesh asks him, replies by asking him, why are you such a coward? Why, friend, are you such a coward? Or why do you speak like a coward, I guess? And um, and then he explains why they should not be afraid of Humbaba, even if their, their encounter with Humbaba leads to death, because death is something that happens to everybody. So why be afraid of it? Um, and then he tries to offer some encouragement to... Enkidu saying like, you know, you look, you, you've roamed woods before you're strong and you've been out on, you know, out on your own. Uh, then that doesn't work. So Gilgamesh calls together the elders of the city of Uruk and they gathers them all together and he tells them what he's going to do and why he's going to do it. Most of which has to do with the longevity of his name and um, explains to him what he's going to do. Then Enkidu uh, stands up tears in his eyes, begging the elders to talk Gilgamesh out of this. And then the elders respond with the same description of Humbaba that uh, Enkidu gave. Enkidu gave. Um, and, then he, and then they say to Gilgamesh, look, yeah, you're just being rash here. You're young and youthful and your zeal is getting in the way and you're excited to do something that you should not do. Maybe Enki, Enkidu is correct. Uh, but Gilgamesh responds with laughter. <laughs> Cowards, you're all cowards. Let's go. Um, and then asks Enkidu if he's ready to go, and then basically says, "If you don't go, then I'm going to go without you. And if I die without you, then you're gonna, then you're gonna think, oh man, my friend died because I wasn't there. And if I'd been there, this wouldn't have happened." Um, and then Gilgamesh says, "Let's go talk to my mom's. She's great, and she will give us her blessing, and then it'll be good." And so then they go to the mom and ask for her blessing, and then the mom who is also sorrowed at this request, has the same response emotionally that Enkidu had. Mm -hmm. She goes to Shamash and offers a prayer to him. She's a god, but she's the daughter of Shamash, I think. And then she goes and prays to her her father. But I don't think she goes to him in person. I think she just goes in, like to a temple or something and prays to her, to her rooftop or something. Um, and then prays to him. And then she accuses Shamash of making Gilgamesh strong and brave, courageous, and also giving him a restless heart. Yeah. And then says, not only that, I think, now I might be confusing the editions here, but I think in this edition she says that 
And if it's not in this one, it's definitely in the other one. She says that Humbaba is there because of you. You put Humbaba there. And you don't want to have to fight your own battle. So you're sending a human to go do it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she prays a prayer of supplication, basically begging him to make sure Gilgamesh survives this journey and leaves. And then she goes to Enkidu and says, I've adopted you as my son. Um, in, in the in the Herbert Mason edition, she, it says that she, I've adopted you as my son and everything I prayed for Gilgamesh, I've, al- I've also prayed for you as my new son. Mm-hmm. So the prayer I'm praying for Gilgamesh as my son is also being prayed for you as my son. But I don't think it says that in this one. And then... Um, and then Enkidu and um, Gilgamesh get their stuff together to go, and then they go, um, and the elders give their blessing. And this, and hear the elders tell Enkidu, "You need to lead the way. You know, and the one who leads the way will protect the other." Um, and then they leave and go. That's book three. Okay, so book four. Um, book four is one of my favorite books, actually, because it's very repetitive and poetic. Yeah. It's like, at 400 miles, they stopped to eat. At 1,000 miles, they pitched their camp. They had traveled for just three days and nights, a six-week journey for ordinary men. When the sun was setting, they dug a well. They filled their water skins with fresh water. I'm not narrating anymore. I'm actually quote reading it. Mm-hmm. Gilgamesh climbed to the mountaintop. He poured out flour as an offering and said, Mountain, bring me a favorable dream. Enkidu did the ritual for dreams, praying for a sign. A gust of wind passed. He built a shelter for the night, placed Gilgamesh on the floor, and spread a magical circle of flour around him, then sprawled like a net across the doorway. Gilgamesh sat there with his chin on his knees, and sleep overcame him as it does all men. At midnight, he awoke. He said to Enkidu, What happened? Did you touch me? Did a god pass by? What makes my skin creep? Why am I cold? Enkidu, dear friend, I've had a dream, a horrible dream. That that section gets repeated like five times, six times um, as they go through their journey. And every time it ends with him saying that, and then he t- he recites the dream to Enkidu. Then Enkidu interprets the dream, tells him everything's going to be okay, and then they move on. And then the, each of the dreams is a dream where he's he sees some boulder or eagle or monster or whatever, and it's always interpreted as Gilgamesh is is, is afraid from the dream. His skin's crawl. His skin crawls. And Enkidu says, "No, this dream is showing that you're going to defeat Humbaba." He always interprets it in a way that it, that's going to show he's interpreting. It as you're going to defeat Humbaba. In some cases, it's Shamash that helps him defeat Humbaba. Um, in some cases, it's Shamash that's crushing him, but it, but that's somehow a way of Shamash helping him. Um, and then they go through their five days and nights. Well, it's actually fifteen because it's three time, three days and nights each each time. Um, and then. They reach the edge of the cedar forest. They hear Humbaba's terrifying roar. Uh, they stop. Gilgamesh is now scared. He's the one that's afraid. And um, I, I think in this edition, they hear a voice from the gods, a voice of the gods telling them, go attack now. This is the chance to de- your chance to defeat him. And in the Herbert Mason edition, it says... Um, Enkidu 
tells him, "We let's go. We got to go face this guy. We got to go face Mbaba. And they go in to face Mbaba. Because that was my narration. Excellent. Excellent. Nothing to be nervous about. I mean, other than the the side commentary. Yeah, it was interesting. This this had a couple of things that repeated. Obviously, that that fourth book does it a lot. But then, like you said, the the um, the war- like the people who are warning him against going to fight Humbaba say the exact same words, and he kind of makes the same statement in a couple of places too. Is what he has to do. Um, I started marking out. I, st- I was I was curious if there's going to be more things he like more um, challenges he has to face Hercules style. So I started. I marked out like what his what he said he has to do like kill Humbaba, tear down the tall cedar that would I guess fall like a windmill or something like that or call the cause a whirlwind and it falls so yeah uh, what 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 was interesting to me this time was that i noticed that the mother says well i can't remember where um I don't, maybe it wasn't the mother but there's some indication well the opening line of book three is time passed quickly but there's some indication that other adventures have taken place between the end of book two and the beginning of book three, which I'm not sure I read it that way. The first time I read it was I just thought they became two friends and then Gilgamesh was immediately like, now that I have a best friend, let's go fight Humbaba. Yeah. Uh, but apparently they've been doing other things and now it's time to go. Maybe it's in the conversation with the elders. Do we just become best friends? <laughs> uh, well, no, she's... I think maybe it's when she prays, though. What? Because she says to, sorry, she. I should be more careful with using pronouns without indicating who I'm talking about. Ninsun, the mother, his mother goddess, prays to Shamash, and says, "Why have you burdened him with a restless heart?" Yeah, like this seems like it's not something like like a new, new phase for Gilgamesh. Like this is kind of. Mm-hmm. And how how he is right like that he's restless i don't think i caught that it was um i mean it makes obviously makes sense but that it was the the cedar force of lebanon lebanon either either it's not in this edition or i just didn't catch the that it said lebanon but um but that's helpful to kind of like it really does kind of place it in that near eastern you know uh world that israel uh becomes a nation in like it's it kind of grounds it in that locale a little bit it's helpful for my brain to kind of have other reference points um i think i know i think i know fewer landmarks in you know mesopotamia than i wouldn't say different parts of you're even even reading the epics like the greek epics i can kind of have an idea of where greece is and where the you know where the water you know, people are crossing between the different islands and that kind of stuff than I, than I would hear. Yeah. I don't, it has to be in this book because I knew that I knew it was a Sears forest without having read the Herbert Mason version. I only, I knew it from the Stephen Mitchell version, yeah. but maybe it's not in these two books. Maybe it's later in the book. It says Lebanon later. Yeah. I haven't yeah. found it yet, but I could have missed it. But it's it's interesting because it cap in here it capitalizes like cedar forest like, like this is the cedar forest right like it's mm-hmm. so it would make sense that like it's everybody kind of, knows which one we're talking about right like it's the famous one of the of the ancient world there 
Mm-hmm. That's where the is that where they are that in, in in the Old Testament. That's where they're sent for the timbers, right? For the temple, or from or from the city of North Lebanon. Or they come from there. It sounds like they're have... they're very big trees. The way he was discussing the one he needs to tear down. Yeah, mm-hmm. he needs a big one. So I'm, just the description of Mbaba is comes in like interesting ways like he his breath spews fire his voice booms like thunder his jaws are death so i read that part and i get this image of like a dragon almost kind of kind of imagery but in the forest um but then in the dreams he's presented in different ways like as a mountain and then as like a almost like a griffin the way he talks about the eagle the lion's head yeah or sphinx i guess not a griffin um which would make sense if, if if you kind of need you know some similar imagery to to ancient Egypt maybe um, in the way they depict monsters and things. Yeah. It. What do y'all make of the fact that oh, there's two things that were interesting to me about their relationship in this as we see them go off together? The first was that Inkadu is the one that's scared of something out in the in the woods, right? Since he was the wild. He was more beast-like to begin with. But then on the flip side of that, he's the one doing the interpreting of dreams. Like, my brain would want those things to be reversed, right? The one that was more divine to begin with would be the one that could interpret the dream. But that's not, we get that, we get the kind of noble savage is the one who's interpreting the dream, which is kind of a flip for my brain, I think. Hmm. I mean, it, kind of, it makes sense to me that Enkidu would be the one who's fearful of the forest because he's the one who's experienced it. Okay. And the guy who hasn't experienced it, as far as I can tell from this reading, he just shows up one day and says, all right, let's do it. Yeah. And when his yeah. best friend, who he should trust, says no. Hmm. And, I mean, I think it brings him straight to tears instantly. Yeah, he sighed, his eyes filled with tears. He says, why are you sighing? Why, dear friend, do your eyes fill with tears? And he, his response, dear friend, a scream sticks in my throat. My arms are limp. I knew that country when I roamed the hills with the antelope and deer. The force is endless. It spreads far and wide for a thousand miles. What man would dare to penetrate its depths? That's an important he distinction. He doesn't listen to his friend. Because Gilgamesh's next response is, listen, dear friend. But Gilgamesh didn't hear his friend. That's helpful. You're, you drew out an important distinction for me there because his time, I mean, I knew it from reading the first couple of books, but his time as a wild man was among deer and gazelles eating grass and drinking from the stream. Mm-hmm. He's not presented as like running with the wolves, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it explains it like you're, what you're saying. He'd be fearful of, a, of the, the monstrous thing in the woods that devours other be, other other beings like a deer would be. Mm-hmm. Um but it's also a different image of the wild man, right? Like we, we tend to think of the savages as, as we, we connect them more with like the, um, the, the predators and the prey, right? You know, were you raised by wolves, that kind of thing. Um, uh, and you see some of that, I guess, in, in other, like, um, the, the tradition we're more used to, right? Isn't, isn't, is it Romulus and Remus? Aren't they raised by wolves? Is it, is it wolves? Yeah. Um, well, suckled by wolf, suckled, yeah. yeah. Um, but he, yeah, so that that's that's a good point. Like, I'm, I, I think my brain just automatically thought wild 
you know, would be carnivorous, but he's, even though they told us he wasn't. Right. He ate grass and he was with the deer and the antelope. Yeah. Which explains why he's so cowardly. So he didn't eat meat. He ain't no meat. Well, he just, he, I mean, he was trained okay. or cultivated or raised, or raised with people, oh. with creatures that were afraid of fiercer monsters. Right, right. He's a prey. But he wasn't yeah. fearful of Gilgamesh, right? When he finds out that here's this man who's going to go take a bride for his own first, he blocks the door. Mm-hmm. Not fearful of that at all. Well, but he, when he's protecting the deer, right, he faces lions to protect the deer. Okay. But he'll protect um, a woman. Mm-hmm. A weaker. I don't know. I, it's bizarre because in book three, you know, the reading of it, you get you get Gilgamesh presenting his plan. Mm-hmm. You have Enkidu responding to it with arguments that clearly aren't going to work with Gilgamesh. Right. Right. The strongest man alive. He's never even seen death. Well, I guess we don't know that yet. Sorry. Spoiler. Um, and nobody in his land has died. Is that what you mean? Or in his family? Yeah. He's never, I mean, nobody, he's never seen it when it happened. Like if it, when it happens in the city, he's never there to see it. He's never, mm-hmm. nobody, nobody he knows has ever died in front of him. Yeah, yeah. So there's no death intimately in any way. Yeah. Um, he, he, so he gets an argument from Enkidu who's showing fear for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes to the elders of the, or then he talks, he explains it away. Like right. you're, you're fearful for no reason. Then he goes to the elders. They're afraid. They say the same thing. Yeah. Don't do it. He goes to his mother. She's afraid. Wow. Uses the God of giving him a restless heart, which is, you know, what a mother would do when her son wanted to go do something dangerous. Um, and I, so I don't know. I don't even know who's right or wrong at this point. Yeah. Like, like why it is, why does Enkidu stand up to the evil that is Gilgamesh sleeping with another man's wife, but not stand up to the, basically from their perspective, the perfect embodiment of evil in their world. Why does he not want to stand up to that? You know? Yeah. He does mention that he was put there, that, that Humbaba was put there by another God who I guess the forest belongs to. Mm-hmm. And Lil. And yeah. And Lil. I think it's the first time we've heard that God mentioned, but um, so maybe it's one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, don't take what's his name's sheep and, and don't, uh, mm. You know, Helios. Yeah, Helios is sheep, and and you mistreated the Cyclopses, even though that they were not hospitable. But that's Poseidon's kids, and so it's just one of these things. Like it's maybe partially about Humbaba, but also about this was put there by a god to protect us on purpose. We're not supposed to go in there, and so there's this kind of conflict between you know his friend brother Gilgamesh and what he's perceiving is what the gods do and don't want. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I just seems you know, the, his, his best friend says no, the elders say no. And his mom doesn't say no. His mom walks away. Right. Um, 
She listened to his words with sorrow. With sorrow, she enters her inner room. She bathes, which to me, she cleanses herself. She bathes in water of tamarisk and soapwort. She put on her finest robe, a wide belt, a jeweled necklace, and then put on her crown. She remembers who she is. She climbs to the stairs, up to the roof. She lit sweet incense in the honor of Samish. She lifted her arms in prayer and said, Lord of heaven, right? So she goes in to seek counsel and asks the Lord of heaven, why have you burdened him with a restless heart? Help him, right? So she doesn't try to change him. She goes and seeks help for him. Mm-hmm. Which kind of reminds me of Thetis. She mm-hmm. doesn't change Achilles, but she goes and seeks help for him. It's a good comparison. Um, and so she seeks out help for him before she returns, right? After she had prayed, then the wise, the all-knowing came down from the roof and summoned Enkidu. And praise over him. So, um, I, you know, there's like, the, she's like the turn. Enkidu listened. Tears filled his eyes. He and Gilgamesh clasped hands like brothers. So he's committed, right? With her blessing, her prayer, she commit. he commits to, Enkidu commits to Gilgamesh. Then they go back before the elders. It's like it goes in reverse order now. They go back to the elders, and the elders say, don't rely on your strength alone to Gilgamesh. Let Enkidu go ahead as you walk. He knows the way. He is tested in battle. He is brave and strong. He will guard you. It's nothing about Gilgamesh at this point. Right, so Gilgamesh is doing this, so he goes and gets a great name. But... The mom prays for care over Enkidu. The elders ask for care and protection from Enkidu. And then I love this part. They tell him um, after after they you know they tell Gilgamesh um, to remember his father. Why did he need to be told that at the end? Right, their last words to him. Remember your father who journeyed to far off mountains himself. And so I want to know, did he die at the far off mountains? Did, was he victorious? Like, what, what's that closing word? Yeah. Then they pray over Enkidu and tell him the same thing that they just, he, they, they tell Enki, they tell Gilgamesh, let Enkidu take care of you. Remember your father. Then they tell Enkidu, protect him. What if it's all sacrifice? Uh, That's what I saw with the the mom when she first cleanses herself. No, no, no. I mean, what if they're saying all this to Enkidu because they're sacrificing him? Yeah, that's what I mean. She was preparing for a sacrifice. Oh, The, the mom cleanses herself first. Then she puts on her robes. She goes to the father to pray. She's preparing for the sacrifice. And she comes back and unites, you know, Enkidu, and she knows it's it's him. Gilgamesh is who this book is named. It's not named Enkidu. Yeah, so all these people saying, oh, Enkidu will protect you, yeah, by dying. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of not fair. Like, it's kind of a... And he knows it. Enkidu knows it. Huh. You think he knows he's being offered up as the ritual sacrifice? He knows somebody's not going to make it. 
So to me, when we go into book four and there's the five dreams and he ends it every time. Um, uh, when he asks him, dear friend, tell me, what does this mean? I think I'm checking myself every time. His first yeah. words, I think, are don't worry, my friend. Mm -hmm. The dream you had is a favorable one. And then he deals specifically with that dream. But it's don't worry, my friend. The dream you had is a favorable one. Every time. And how does he end it every time? Except for the last? He ends it. Um, oh, come on. Let me go back one. The first four. It ends with Gilgamesh, happy with his good dream, smiled and his face lit up with pleasure. Then you get to the last one and it says, um, he tells him, and Enkidu tells him in the last one, brings in Lugalbanda, your personal God. And I think that's the same name for his father. It's a dad's name, yeah. Yeah. So I wrote in their father, question mark. With his help, we will achieve a triumph greater than any man has achieved. And so this last one ends differently and there are no more dreams. Hello everyone. I wanna tell you a little bit about our sponsor for this month, the Honors College at Belmont Abbey. The Honors College brings the good, the true and the beautiful to the next generation of leaders. With this great books-based program, the Honors College enlightens and challenges young minds while also preparing them for a fruitful life. Students can major in the great books or choose a professional major founded on those classic texts. With SCOLA, its summer high school program in July, high school students get a taste of the experience combined with the great outdoors, fun, and friendship. Discover the world through a critical eye on this all-encompassing journey. The Honors College of Belmont Abbey, a life well-lived awaits. Visit them at www.bac.edu backslash honors. Yeah, that's interesting. But in every single case, Enkidu says, we will, we will, um, we will triumph. Yeah. We will succeed. Right. It's in the, in the dream, it's always Gilgamesh and Humbaba and Shamash, and, well, Gilgamesh and or Humbaba and or Shamash and or Lugalban, Lugalbanda. Mm -hmm. Enkidu never appears in the dreams. And yet every time Enkidu says, we, um, Lord Shamash will grant us victory. We will kill the monster. Well, well I guess the second you. dream. Yeah. The second dream just says he will rescue you and grant you everything you desire. Mm -hmm. um, There's a progression here. The third dream, we will kill Humbaba's success is ours. However he attacks us, we will prevail. The fourth dream, he will stand beside us when the monster attacks. Whatever happens, we will prevail. The fifth dream, uh, the Lord of the sky, who in every danger will come to our aid. Your personal God, with his help, we will achieve a triumph greater than any man has achieved. Right, but before that, it says the man who pulled you up from the ground and gave you fresh water from his water skin is Lugalbanda. So, it's, you know, the dream is just about him. But then we will achieve a triumph. 
Yeah. So either either he's interpreting the dream correctly and they we will triumph and we will succeed and we will win, or he's misapplying it to both of them when he really means just one. And is no, he doing or, that? No, no, he, no. Or is he saying we will triumph? His role, Enkidu's role, is to protect Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh has to walk out alive. That's his role. They will triumph. Enkidu's role is not to live. His triumph isn't to live. His triumph is to protect Gilgamesh. Huh. That's my posit. Theories on Gilgamesh by Andrea Lipinski. Yeah. Um, it's kind of fun. I thought there was one where it like says more clearly. That's a we. We will kill the monster and leave his corpse on the battlefield. That's the first dream. On the first dream? It's the we? Yeah. I just I noticed the ending. Gilgamesh, happy with his good dream, smiled and his face lit up with pleasure. That's, That's how the they same all ending end. for all the dreams. Until the fourth, until the fifth one. Oh, until the fifth one? Yeah, because on the fifth one, it's it said when when Enkidu quit finishes interpreting it, they've reached the edge of the cedar forest. They could hear Humbaba's terrifying roar. Gilgamesh stopped stopped. He was trembling. Tears flowed down his cheeks. So for the first time, Gilgamesh feels fear. Yeah. It might be the first time he's ever had tears roll down his own cheeks. And his response is prayer. Oh, Samish, protect me on this dangerous journey. Remember me. Help me. Hear my prayer. Well, there's a lot of, there are several references to we will kill Humbaba. And there's one reference at least, or there's lots of references to we will be successful. We will prevail. Although to your point, like, We'll prevail might mean I just keep you alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's one reference to everything you desire will be granted to you. Yeah. Which is kind of sad if Gilgamesh doesn't desire the life of his friend. Um, He's a tyrant. So, yeah. So the he was a tyrant, Andrea. Okay. Um, <laughs> so it's an interesting question, right? If, if he's going to die in the battle with Humbaba, does he know and he's withholding that or he's saying it codedly right. or does he not know or is he actually not going to die? Yeah. Right. That battle, all, right? Yeah. Those are all options. Hmm. I've, I've given my. Some of us know the answer, but we have to withhold the answer for the sake of the readers. <laughs> We have Dang power it. right now, Brandon. <laughs> this is we so can, hard. We can say whatever we want. This does remind me of a plays the thing where uh, Tim and I agreed that I wouldn't read the play before. Yes, like I read it as we went through, and then every couple of act, or after every act, he would ask me to guess what was going to happen the rest. Oh, of the that's fun. He and uh, 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 what's your name? Um, we're having, Nora. we're having Nora. We're having a good time with you on that one. For uh, yeah. that's cool. So make you guys do that. What's going to happen next? That's right. 
Andrew just offer Andrea's offering it up. She's braver than I am. I'm, a, I'm like, oh yeah. I, I, I just don't think it's gonna go well. And I think that Enkidu has to bear the burden. See, I think I think they have I think they have more joint trials. I think it's like the first of a few. But that means he's gotta live to go to the next one. Right. Right. You don't think this is like yeah, we are kind of early in the book. I think um it's gonna be well, I won't make that to that movie reference, but I don't know who an artist would even remember it. But uh that yeah, Gilgamesh is gonna he's he's the hero of the story tale, but he's gonna he requires this relationship is with Enkidu and he requires Enkidu's help in some way. So yeah. it wasn't a bad movie. It was just my cousin Vinny. I didn't know who in our audience would remember that movie. <laughs> One of Joe Pesci's finest works. Do you think there's a reverse, um, a reverse kind of Jesus Mary and John scenario at the cross where Jesus says to his mother, this is your son. This is your son. And then to John, behold your mother. Um, and the mothers do it. And then, but in this case, the mother's doing it. Hmm. You know, behold, Gilgamesh, behold your brother. Enkidu, behold your brother. Um, there's a passing. That's interesting. Mother, yeah. sonship and brotherness going yeah. there. Perhaps because of the coming death. So why is that important? And the coming death is the important piece of that. The I don't know. Why does he say? Why does he say? Hmm. Enkidu, when he asks Enkidu, when he tells Enkidu that we're going to go on this journey, mm -hmm. Enkidu, Enkidu reject. You know, fights against the plan. Right, And that gives this, you know, what I think is a pretty ridiculous argument to Gilgamesh of all people. We must not go on this journey. We must not fight this creature. His breath spews fire. His voice booms like thunder. His jaws are death. He can hear all sounds in the forest, even the faintest rustling among the leaves. He will hear us a hundred miles away. Who among men or gods could defeat him? Humbaba is the forest guardian and Leo put him there to terrify men. Whoever enters will be struck down by fear. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, I don't see how that's a would be a persuasive argument. It seems like bad rhetoric for mm. with your audience if your audience is Gilgamesh. Just mm -hmm. even based on what we've been told about Gilgamesh up to this point. And then Gilgamesh answers exactly like I would expect him to, based on that argument. Why, dear friend, do you speak like a coward? What you just said is unworthy of you, it grieves my heart. But is this section here that that interests me? We are not gods. Mm -hmm. We cannot ascend to heaven. No, we are mortal men. Only the gods live forever. Our days are few in number. And whatever we achieve is a puff of wind. Yeah. Vapor? Right. It's Ecclesiastes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, why be afraid then, since sooner or later death must come? Where is the courage you have always had? If I die in the forest on this great adventure, won't you be ashamed when people say blah, 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 right? Uh, he was safe at home. The uh, Then he says to the people, to the elders, I will cut down the tree. I will conquer him in the cedar forest. I will cut down the tree. I will kill Humbaba. The whole world will know how mighty I am. 
I will make a lasting name for myself. I will stamp my fame on men's minds forever. So there's this whole, like, we are, we're mortal. I know it. There's no point in even trying to extend this life because it doesn't matter, right? Long life, short life, it doesn't matter. It's just a puff of wind. We're going to die. So the only thing I can do is extend the me- my memory beyond my life, right? The memory of me beyond my life, the fame, the great name, which he says, but he says that to the elders, right? Um, so there's obviously some sort of like pre, big, pre, pre, uh, I don't know. What do you call that in literature, right? When they give you some clue that something's going to happen. Like when somebody says in a movie to his wife, I promise I'll see you again. And then, you know, he's going to die mm-hmm. before he sees her again. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Foreshadowing, right? There's something like that going on here. Yeah. And then you got the mother, you know, changing her, getting herself a, I don't know, getting a son, getting another son for some reason. Getting a, a brother, a companion. Trying to, basically, basically, does like that, is that her way of saying you have to do this to Enkidu? Like mm. she knows Enkidu doesn't want to and she knows he has to. Is it part of that sacrificing? I don't know. Or is it part of just protecting her son, right? Giving him, so he's not going into, into battle alone. Yeah. But the link, the, but the linking does kind of tie it to like by calling her a son and calling them brothers. She's, she's, she's uh, indicating a deeper, deeper connection and uh, therefore deeper responsibility or duty to Gilgamesh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There were a couple of things I didn't, I didn't think about the inverted, you know, not inverted, but that this is your son this is your mother but there were some other things that sparked kind of biblical or church connections um well obviously when they asked for the when they asked for the smiths to make them weapons that no regular man could carry i thought of goliath right like they can't even lift his armor um and sword and stuff is uh, basically takes multiple men to haul off his armor when, when he's once he's dead mm-hmm. um but then also you just have a, in a lot of the epics the the heroes are getting their stuff made by i mean they're smith they're smith gods right but it's but it's not normal armor right it seems to move and tell stories and you know, there's some, there's something about it that's different yeah. right yeah. um yeah my first thought was goliath though and i was like oh okay this is like beyond human weaponry it's indicating these guys are something else something more well andrea what did you mean when you asked though what why is the death thing important because then i went on this you know thing about the foreshadowing but i'm not sure i was getting at your your actual question can you say what you said before i asked that question i, I think that's when i pointed out the invert inverted mary john P, jesus thing no Oh, the um, so is there a sense of under like like we take a a stock of who our family is and who we are when there's a death imminent? Is, is that when that's the kind of thing that happens? Is that is that why? It, is that what prompts it? 
you know, Jesus doesn't say that until he's about to die. Right. Um, he could have said that for years before, right? They had been together. Um, but he doesn't. And so Gilgamesh's mom says what she says. Is it also before Enkidu dies? Um, one thing that I noticed when you were um, going back and, and bringing us up about how Enkidu did not use good rhetoric on his friend, with his friend, toward his friend, um, saying, uh, hold on, like this forest is awful, right? Um, Humbaba spews fire, his voice booms, his jaws are death, he can hear every sound from the faintest of leaves from 100 miles away, right? He goes through all of this and it doesn't it doesn't persuade his heart, Gilgamesh's heart. But Gilgamesh, I feel like they're not hearing each other because Gilgamesh's response is to say, but wait a minute, you were raised in the mountains and with your own hands, you've killed marauding lions and wolves. You're brave. Your heart has been tested in combat. They're like, this isn't, this isn't fitting for you. But I think there's a difference. Enkidu didn't seek out to just go kill lions and wolves. Enkidu protected what he loved. And because he's protecting what he loved or cared about, he was willing to, to kill. But he didn't seek it out. Gilgamesh is seeking it out. There's a difference. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just different. Right. Yeah. I don't know if that plays in here or not. I just noticed it this time when you were walking us back through. And I didn't notice it the first time. I don't either. <laughs> but yeah, so that's why I just, you know, um, I mean, it's like my next door neighbor. Uh, they're from South Korea, but they've raised their children here in America. And his wife is sharing with me his homemade um, miso. And then she says, well, hold, hold, you can't have that without kimchi. Do you have any kimchi? Like, I don't have kimchi in my house, right? She's like, well, hold on, I'll get you some of my kimchi. She has a kimchi freezer, which has a special temperature. It's not a refrigerator temp. It's not a freezer temp. Special temp that keeps kimchi for months. And she makes it all from scratch. So she gets me a whole half a cabbage of her kimchi. You can slice it, right? Yes, I can slice it. And uh, he says, he's like, Andrea's going to be Korean. Like, you don't, those are not the conversations we typically have until... We're talking end of life, right? Then we want to know, then, then we call on those lines and we, we fudge the lines, we blur the lines, we break the lines and we draw you in, we draw you closer. It's a Wait, pretty that guy thinks you're going to die? That's, I'm saying no. It's a pretty beautiful thing when it happens before then. And we can live oh, it out now. That's interesting though, too, because what you're talking about is that, like when he says you're going to be Korean, he's talking about something cultural right like it's it's the food it's the way we do things which is not how we think about those things now right because we're so hyper focused on those distinctions are um ethnic or visual they're visual they're physical right like most people will be like haha that's funny andrea you're a white lady you can't be so you know but um <laughs> We're out there working in the yard together. Right. Like he's but like, fabulous. But that this but, is a this is an audio podcast. Nobody knew Andrew is white until you said that, Brandon. <laughs> well, I had to help people out. Um, but uh, the the but that wasn't how people identified. Like 
certainly not back then, right? Like people were in Gilgam and Uruk or Uruk because they they have a shared culture, right? I think that was that's listening to people talk about ancient history that that you were identified by what you were by by tribe, but the tribe was that that was based on what you well primarily what you worshipped, but but mm-hmm. but the culture, right? And that that that's the that's the biggest in, influence in the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just the other day saw, it's funny you mentioned this, I just saw the other day this a video of a woman who she's um, she's American, her parents are American or English, I think, well, maybe American, but she was white, but she's in her like mid, late 20s, but she's lived her entire life in Japan because her parents moved there, she was born there, she grew up in Japanese schools, she had to take all of her tests in Japanese, you know. Um, so her whole cultural experience is Japanese her entire life. Um, so she was talking about that this exact thing right? you're feeling like you're part of but so she's now that they're the same when you do this kind of adopting into something um it's a uh, where you where the the relationships are what's are what's kind of defining what and who you are so it's interesting you mentioned that mm. what do you make of the end of book five. We didn't read book five. Four? Maybe four. Four, sorry. It's okay. We're here. Trying to cheat ahead again, I thought. For it says they stood at the edge of the cedar forest, gazing silent. There was nothing to say. Is yeah. The interesting part to me was that all of a sudden that Gilgamesh, right, right, right before that, Gilgamesh is now trembling, right? He, it's been all this bravado, all this bravado. Well, he was a little worried about the dreams, I guess, in this book. Like he he wanted to know what they were, what they meant. But now now he's shaken. Now now he's at the reality. Like like Andrea said earlier, Inkadu knew the reality already, right? And so and now now Gilgamesh is faced with it. So that's it. The reality of what Humbaba is. Yeah, Humbaba is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so he he his argument worked when it was finally embodied. Right, he makes that bad. What I think is a bad argument at the beginning of three, mm-hmm. and then the body, the argument gets embodied at the end of book four, and Gilgamesh actually Cry. is fearful. Why doesn't he just say, "Okay, let's go home"? Why all of a sudden is it like, "All right, let's go on and do this thing"? You know. Well, they don't say they're going to do it yet. They they stood and they listened from the voice from heaven who tells them, "Attack now." And they just stand there. I mean, we got the rest of the book, so they're going to go attack. But um. yeah, in um, the trying to look in the Herbert Mason one because he says, um, "Oh, I see. Okay, forget it." It's. I was thinking that there was something in the Mason book that's not in the Mitchell book, but I, I don't think so. Cause the thing that I'm remembering is actually, it's probably going to be in book five. It's w- during the actual battle. Okay. Cause the actual battle takes place in book two of Mason. So, um, yeah, basically he just go, it goes straight from the dreams to, I mean, he does give encouraging responses to the dreams. Enkidu does in the Mason and then they go straight to the battle but we haven't gotten to the battle yet. So yeah. Yeah. Cause it, cause it's, it's, 
he says nothing. Enkidu says nothing at this point, right? They could hear Humbaba's terrifying roar. Gilgamesh stopped. He was trembling. Tears flushed, flowed down his cheeks. Oh, Shamash, he cried. Protect me on this dangerous journey. Remember me. Help me hear my prayer. They stood and listened. A moment passed. Then from heaven, the voice of the god called to Gilgamesh. Right? So there's, I don't know. There's not, there's not necessarily an indication here that Gilgamesh was, fear, was afraid enough to want to turn, be willing to turn around and go home. But Enkidu doesn't say anything like, see, I told you so. <laughs> no. And then they just, they're just sitting there silently listening. Well, pray, then stood and listened. Then the voice tells them to go. The God tells them to go. And why? And then it says they stood gazing silent. There was nothing to say. Yeah. I guess once the God puts the order on you. Nothing to say. Yeah, <laughs> no yeah. response. Yeah, yeah. Who's the God, though? Right. This one they oh, don't yeah, name. It doesn't, it doesn't tell us, yeah. Yeah. The voice they of the do, God. They do call out Gilgamesh. It does say the voice of the God called to Gilgamesh, not to them. I don't know if that yeah. matters or not. So do you, is it referring back to the God he just prayed to? Oh, Shamash, protect me on this dangerous journey. That then would be from good. heaven, the voice of the God called to Gil Gilgamesh. That would be helpful. Without knowing the... Like without seeing their, without knowing a critic or whatever, uh, that would that be that makes the most sense to me. Like whoever translated it just didn't write the word Shamash again. He, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no, um, no God that speaks to them in, in, uh, in Mason. Hmm. Mm. Hmm. So I can't look to see if it names to the gods. It, he calls out to God, to Shamash. Right. But there's no answer. There's no reply that comes from. Oh, and Mason, he does call out to Shamash. Yeah. But it is, I think, I don't think it's in Mitchell. It is in Mason where he says, where it says, uh, the mother says, you put him there. You put Humbaba there. Right. And to now protect. you're going to send you're and you don't want to deal with him yourself. So you're sending. So you're sending Gilgamesh. Mm -hmm. This is much more like it's more sacrificial offering on the part of the part of Gilgamesh or the gods than it is on the part of, you know, the elders and the mother toward Enkidu, right? Mm. Which then, which is that's so interesting, right? Because if you take Mason's edition, you've got the mother saying to the gods, you did this and you're using them to fix your problem. Mm -hmm. And then, but then you don't have the gods encouraging them to go in. But then in this one, you don't have the gods bl being blamed, but then you have the gods encouraging them to go in. Mm -hmm. huh. It's kind of interesting. You'd expect it to be the other way around. I, I would think I would, I would, but. Then it leaves it. I mean, if you if we combine, if we if I I thought I understood that the Mitchell edition gathered everything and put it into one. It does not appear to be that way. Yeah, not right. Probably not everything. Right? Yeah. So yes. um, if if it did include both of those pieces, the mom saying, "Hey, you did this. You've you're actually the one with the problem, and you're sending him in." 
to take care of your problem because you're not man enough to do it yourself. Not enough right. to do it yourself. Um, and then the God tells him, go now. It's perfect. You got this. Um, that changes the whole trajectory to say, yeah, yeah man's will and God's will. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in that edition where he doesn't, she doesn't make the act or she makes the accusation, but the God doesn't participate in the encouraging. Yeah. It makes her, it makes her accusation seem more questionable, right? Like, is right. she right? That that's yeah. the case. Um, although it's maybe not a questionableness that you would notice if you didn't, if you didn't know that there were editions where the God does encourage him to go. But then once the God encourages him to go, is it, is it is it really an ev- it, its own evil and they they do want it fixed they do want that evil gotten rid of but it's not their evil to get rid of like she says but if we know. go back to the mom so the mom she's considered yeah when Gilgamesh says before we leave let us pay a visit to my mother's temple let us go and speak to the lady Ninsun the wise the all knowing. Let us bow before her. Let us ask for her blessing and her advice. Right. So when she hears this to, to understand, she goes straight to Shamash right now, straight. She cleanses herself first. She dons her robes of who she is and she ascends, climbs onto her roof to be with Shamash and prays. Yeah. So if she's really the all knowing, then yeah. Hmm. He knows Shamash is doing this. You've granted my son beauty and strength and courage. And you've stirred up his desire to go on this attack. Matt, in the other edition, she you said when she's addressing Shamash, she says that you put you put Kambala in the forest, right? Let me see. The Wow, when does he talk to him? Okay. Um, all right. The mother says to Shamash, why did you give my son a restless heart? And now you touch him with this passion to destroy Humbaba and you send him on a journey to a battle he may never understand. This line is incredible. Listen to this. You send him on a journey to a battle he may never understand, to a door he cannot open. What does that even mean? But it's just so incredible a way of describing the thing he's about to do. Um, You send him on a journey to a battle he may never understand, to a door he cannot open. You inspire him to end the evil of the world which you abhor. Which said that's that's that line's in here. Yeah. He has resolved since he has resolved to go, protect him until he arrives at the Cedar Forest, until he kills the monster Humbaba and drives from the world the evil that you hate. That's what Mitchell says. He uh Mason says you inspire him to end the evil of the world which you abhor, and yet he is a man. For all his power and cannot do your work. You mm. must protect my son from danger. Okay. So in both in both versions, 
she identifies it as an evil that Shamash abhors, but neither one does it um, say that he's the one that put him there, at least that we've seen so far. Because, I'm wondering because because um, Enkidu points out that some other, another god placed it there in in, in Lil or in, in Dil. Um, yeah. Which is an interesting... I'm curious, like, we don't know who that is, right? But because up to this point so far, Shamash is the the high god, if I'm, if I'm reading this right. Like, his god so, yeah. praise to him. Um, so what kind of situation do we have here where there's an evil put in place by a different god that, that he abhors, but is sending a mortal to go to go deal with? Um, I think is uh, raises a lot of questions for me, like... Um, I'm trying to say there's search for, for parallels, you know, there's the, uh, you know, one, one God leaving it, but not necessarily the highest God is not the one who put that, put that beast there. And then so what's his purpose? I don't, I, yeah, I don't know the relationships between the gods there. So yeah, I don't know. Is Enlil like Hades or is he like Iolus? Yeah. <laughs> Right. You know, I don't know. Or is he like, is he something that predates? Uh, so I'm trying to remember my Greek mythology correctly, but like, you know, you have Gaia and you have the earth in the, in the sky, right? And then they they produce the, what, the Titans? Uh, the, well, they produce all kinds of stuff, but yeah. Yeah, but also, but she at some points produces these monsters, right? That she's going to release for vengeance. Yeah. Upon, upon, is it upon the Titans or is it upon Zeus? I can't remember. But, well, Cronus releases the Titans on Zeus, but I think that Cronus has put the Titans in prison before that. Mm hmm. But, but Gaia produces like some monsters, right? To, to avenge her other children and one of the myths. Um, so that's like a more ancient hmm. deity, right? Than than Zeus, but Zeus is the but time by the time we're reading Greek mythology, you know, Greek mythology, he's the he's the high god of the Greek pantheon or whatever. Um, I mean, that's I'm probably being reductive, but so just it's interesting. I, I wonder is it, is it something that was placed by a more ancient deity? Is that what, is that what we're dealing with here? Um, for some purpose to protect this, to protect this forest, uh, as sacred for some reason. Um, you know, why, why was this evil place here to guard this forest? It's interesting to me. I mean, when she's talking to Lord Shamash four times, she says, protect, protect him, protect him, protect my son, protect my son. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's what she goes for first. Yeah, and this is the cedar forest, and it's the cedar forest of Lebanon. We know from from scripture, it it appears to be a place of high importance, right? To, to lots of people groups, either the either the wood there is very valuable and coveted, or you know whatever it is. But there's something there that, in this case, is mythologized into being protected by an evil that was placed there by a god for some reason. What but if no, Enlil put Umbaba there to protect the forest for? that would to eventually be used in the building of the temple in Jerusalem. Because it didn't get chopped down when it was baby trees. It had so to it's, big. So yeah. it's only a great evil to, to pagan 
pagan uh, religions surrounding the area that will eventually become Israel. That weird thing of it, Romans eight twenty eight, where God uses all things for good. Well, I mean, well yeah. What, mean, what if they interpreted it as evil because they wanted the trees and couldn't get it, but it was actually yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. This going is now. going back to that. Is the Bible written as a response to the pagan beliefs? Well, know. that's that's one. I mean, you could you could talk about it in that way. Is it written as a response? But also, even if it's not written as a response, but it's dealing with real places and real things in the same kind of geographic area. It's just an account, like you said, right? It, it, yeah. it's the, their account, and so in that in that sense, this perspective would be if there was a beast or something, an angel you know, guarding that forest for the people of Israel and it's keeping out uh Ur, right. Urian, Urians, I don't know what you call people from Ur, they're gonna they're gonna perceive it as Urukians. Yeah, Urukians. They're gonna they're gonna perceive it as a as a monster, right? That's evil because it's keeping them from something good that they want. Um and it's not a far stretch the way it's described with heads of a lion and wings, but also fire breathing to compare that to some of the different descriptions you get of angelic beings, even, you know, in the old Testament and revelation and, you know, the spinning wheels yeah. and the multiple wings and the, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, that's interesting. Wait, that's a, I mean, it's a postulization, obviously. I mean, there's no way to know huh. for sure, but yeah, if it really is dealing with the same, interplay between the natural and supernatural in the same region of the world, just being viewed from different lenses. What I'm looking forward to testing out our ideas as we keep reading. Yeah, me too. I was just about to ask you, Andrea, what, what do you think now? Is it, is it, is it worth reading so far after your question, after our opening question last week? Yep. There's certainly enough okay. to keep me curious. Last, let me just say this though, for Andrea's sake and for our readers' sake. Uh-oh. Last week I said that the only tawdry description in the book was in book one between what's her face and Enkidu. There's one more coming, mm. probably in book five or six, between Gilgamesh and a woman. And then, which is only tawdry in Mitchell. In Mason, it's not. In Mason, she just says, I'll give you love and peace and marriage. And then he, but in Mitchell, he says, what will you give me? And then she says all this disgusting, you know, graphic stuff. Um, but anyways, that I think that's 99.9% positive. That's the last one. <laughs> so you just let your eyes drop down a few lines and then go skip to the next. Pick up again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I don't when watch you see, when you see his encounter with Ishtar, it's Ishtar. So when you get to the point where he's, where he's having a conversation with Ishtar, you know, okay, I, I might want to skip skip a little bit here. Or just not read it out loud in front of, you know, hormone-riddled boys and girls. <laughs> you All know right. I just read Plato's dialogues to these teenagers around me, right? <laughs> yeah, well. the uh, And Socrates and uh, uh, Antigone, I read that one with them. Yeah. yeah, that's all PG though compared to what you're about to get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. Uh... Well, Plato's PG 13. <laughs> this is rated R. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't. I was thinking, like, I don't watch rated R movies. 
Um, yeah. 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 I uh, I did one of the Heming- one of the Hemingway books with junior and seniors a couple years ago, forgetting about part of that part that comes up in it. Um, it's the one with the guy and the nurse. I can't think of the name of it now, but yeah. Uh, for whom the bell tolls. Yeah. 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 Or maybe it was no, it was, it was Farewell to Arms, which also has Farewell to Arms. Thank you. Yeah. You're right. And I was like, oh, huh. Here. So I was like, okay. Be ahead of your there's, students. There's that part of the book. That's right. I mean, it wasn't I like this one might be more graphic than that one. Yeah, no, it wasn't terrible. It was just, you know, the squirming, awkward teenagers yeah. in the, my in the homeschool group and they, when we had to talk yeah, about you class. actually could probably read this in front of a five-year-old because it was just pew, right over their head yeah. but it's the 15 year old you can't read it in front of yeah anyway all right so next week we are reading uh what did we just say i think it's five and six i think it's five, five six, six seven. seven i think you're right i think it is five six five, seven. Six, seven. five yep. six seven so um just so everybody knows that these are tried to space the, the reason some are two and some are three is some are longer. So we're just trying to space them out as evenly as possible. But yeah. Five, six, seven for next week. Um, and then we will, we'll jump into those. Uh, any, any parting thoughts before we head out? I'm for team Inky do. He's going to die. I'll take the underdog. Yeah. I just, I don't, this whole life, death and courage and fear is fascinating. So Yeah. Like I loved what I loved about book one and two, you know, for me, it was like, what's going on here between the savage man and the tyrannical man mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what's, and what's their answer in the text? You know, what is their answer to the healing of that? And it's, you know, the friend, the love of a woman and the, the love of a friend. Um, but now it's this whole, you know, struggle between fear and courage and, uh, death and fame. And it's the same exact stuff, right? That everybody thinks, well, we don't need immortality or we can get our immortality through fame. It's, you know, yeah, bat- thousands and thousands of years ago, they were already saying that, but will it be enough? Who's right? Who is right? Enkidu, Gilgamesh. I don't know. I don't, I read it and I don't even know the answer to the question, but it makes me think about it all. So it's, uh, it's what I like around it. That's why I put it on the overdue classics list. <laughs> Somebody out there in our in our on our uh, circle.so page like, well, I put it on that list when we were asking for suggestions. So That's- Oh, it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody else put it up, but I would have put it on the list. I would and I I agreed with it on the list because you know I read it a year ago, whatever, and I thought it was yeah. great. So even though it was perverted and my wife was sitting in the car when I was listening to it on audiobook. <laughs> she was trying to do some other work. She's like, what the heck are you listening to? <laughs> you, you scars listen her. To? That's funny. I think I might have even had a kid in the back seat too, but you know, he nice. had headphones in or something, so he didn't hear it. Nice. <laughs> or he, t- or he didn't want me to know that he heard it. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> la, 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 Your kids la, la, aren't la. young though. No, no, no. They're no. 20s, right? But yeah. Still, he's like, he's like, uh, um, what do you call it? Like, he doesn't want to have those kind of. He doesn't want to talk about that kind of stuff with me or in front of me or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So he would. That's he would not let me know that he heard it because he would be afraid that I would turn it into a gross conversation. <laughs> oh, it's a fun one around awesome. mine. I push yeah. all those envelopes with my boys. Nice. Awesome. So, 
now you can choose your parenting style, Andrea or Matt, based on <laughs> Overview Classics podcast. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. I just like Kobe talk to the kids about all that kind of stuff. I don't even do it. No, right, just, right. just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. All right. Well, thank you guys. And thanks all of you for joining us uh, out there in podcast land. We will see you guys next week for books uh, four, five through seven. Um, you can join in the conversation on the Cersei Circle. Uh, you can find that link in the show, show notes. And you can also send us questions or comments to podcast at Institute.org. See you guys next week and be sure to check out the other shows on the Cersei Podcast Network.